Thank you, Ryan and April. Please take your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's turn it together in God's Word to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. And we're going to direct our attention during our time together this morning, specifically on verses 15 and 16. Ephesians chapter 5 is an important passage of Scripture to the church. It's a pivotal passage. It's one of those passages that stands out monumentally and just one of those that needs to marinate in our hearts and our minds as we think about growth in grace and sanctification, living the Christ-centered life, being led of the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to direct our attention this morning with a laser-like focus, though, out of the whole passage on verses 15 and 16. To, to maybe set the context, I'm going to begin in verse 8. I'm going to read down to verse 21, and then we will narrow our focus to verses 15 and 16. Join me there, verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul writing says this, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because... The days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Circling back now to verses 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Well, this is the word of the Lord. The message title this morning is just simply right out of the text, Redeeming the Time. Redeeming the Time. As a church, it has been our pattern in our history to take one Sunday out of all the Sundays and to think towards stewardship, to think towards all that the Lord has given to us, and that's what today the message as a standalone message will lend itself towards, and it's also what we will be doing this evening as we have a stewardship banquet. What is stewardship? We're finding increasingly as we use this language that sometimes we don't need to assume that that everybody's on the same page, that we, that we all understand just exactly uh, what we're talking about. So for the sake of clarity, for the sake of defining our terms, being a steward is simply saying that you and I don't own anything. Now, don't be alarmed. I'm not talking in the sense of politics or globalism or any of that this morning. I'm simply talking about the sovereignty of God. I'm simply talking about that God is always previous I'm just simply saying, Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and everything that is contained within it. 
So if God is the owner and the creator of all, Genesis chapter 1, it certainly establishes that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then, then, then what are we? Well, what we are is made in God's image and entrusted with God's creation. We're entrusted with, and just to use that language entrusted with means that God is God and I am not. And you are not. There is one God, one creator, and he alone is sovereign. But that is not to minimize what God has called us to do. So what has God called us to do? Well, we are, we are stewards. And I want to give you an example. We're not going to turn there. We're going to jump very quickly into our passage. But by way of introduction, I want to give you an example from the book of Genesis. And if you remember, I'm just going to recall into, from your memory. Do you remember when Abraham decided that it was time for Isaac to have a wife? Abraham was not in the land of his people. And if you remember, he sent out his steward. He sent out his servant named Eliezer, and he entrusted him with a mission, with a purpose. He entrusted his possessions to him, and that steward, that servant, went and represented Abraham, the, the, the jewelry and all the, the claims and the, and the promises and the pledges were not necessarily his, they were Abraham's that he was representing. And as he went forward, as he went to the land of Abraham's people, ultimately seeking a bride for Isaac, and ultimately that young woman would be named Rebecca. he went in the place of, in the stead of. None of it was his. It was all Abraham's. In fact, the scripture designates his servant as a servant slash steward, the concept of what a steward is. That, that's what we're talking about when we say the matter of stewardship, stewardship emphasis. You know, unfortunately, so many people, when you begin to talk about stewardship, because money is so central to our lives, they think one thing. They think, oh, I know what the pastor's doing. I know what the pastor's talking about. He's talking about our finances. Well, let me just be clear this morning that stewardship certainly includes finances, but it is not limited to money. For us to limit the concept of stewardship this morning to money would be a great injustice to our spiritual lives. In fact, Paul doesn't do that. And so specifically this morning, now it's not to say the scriptures are silent uh, to the issue of money. That's just not going to be our, our focus mainly this morning. Our focus is going to be the use of our time. In fact, when you think about stewardship, we're talking about comprehensively stewardship of life. Friends, we are bought with a price. We are the redeemed of God and God has called us. That's what Paul is saying there in verse 8 of chapter 5. You were once darkness, church. You were of the evil. You were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. But now you are the light of the Lord. And so now Paul continues to unpack that for us and say, here's what it means. Here's what it looks like to be the justified light of the Lord. Those who are of the light, children of the light, walking in the light, led of the Spirit, Here's what it looks like. And as we use for our purposes this morning, stewardship, we're talking about our lives, church, the preciousness of life. Is there anything more precious than life? Well, in one sense, to answer that question, we would say salvation, which is spiritual life. But without getting super complicated, life is valuable. Life is important. And we're thinking of stewardship of life, which means Resources, possessions, money, time, attention, skills, opportunities, experience. 
Basically, you are the sum total of so many things that God has given you the opportunity to receive and experience. And you and I are stewards over some measure of His creation. Again, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all that is contained within it. So what about me and you? What about our lands? What about our houses? What about our accounts? What about, and again, our focus this morning is to be if we treated our time the same way we treat our accounts. Do we budget our lives or at least give consideration to the use of our time with the same attention that we give to the use of our money? Here in our text, we're seeing that Paul directs our attention to just this thing. He's leading us to reflect upon a life that is being lived for God, the Lord's will and our will, sin and righteousness, eternity or this dissipating, fastly disappearing age. And the question of where is our focus, where are our investments in our use of time and life, talents, abilities. And he's leading us to consider, and by the Lord's help, I will lead us to consider as well, how are we stewarding our lives? How do you use your time? In fact, I'm going to ask it like this. Do you, are you wasting your life? What do I mean by that? I mean by the choices that we make, by the decisions that we make, opportunities that the Lord gives to us that we just pass by. We allow to go away by choosing to do something maybe more trivial or less important. You say, well, LeGrand, you're getting pretty stringent. Well, I hope so. Hopefully in a way that is spirit-led. Hopefully in a way that is helpful. Hopefully in a way that is convicting. Hopefully you will be convicted like I've been convicted. Hopefully you will feel what your pastor has felt in preparing this message and this sermon we heard in the scripture reading this morning, Proverbs 1 verse 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. What we're talking about are wisdom matters this morning, the best use of stewardship. I want to frame our thoughts this morning around just some very simple words, five simple words, and I'll mention them as, as we come to them. And as we come to the first point, point number one is focus, focus. As we're looking into this passage, verse 15, notice what author, the author Paul says. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly. Look carefully. Here Paul is making a connection. He's pointing to the heart of our attention, our focus. And one thing we find in the Word of God is that there's a strong correlation to wisdom and time. Wisdom in the use of time or the use of our life or answering the question I asked just a moment ago, am I wasting my life or am I using it for what God has purposed and intended or am I living for what Christ has saved me for? Am I wasting my life or am I redeeming my life? There's a strong correlation between time and wisdom we find in Psalm 90 verse 12. Don't have to turn there. You can. If you're taking notes, there's the reference. I'll read it to you. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us, the psalmist says, to number our days, O God, so that we may gain or apply our heart to wisdom. Do you see the connection there? Between the fleeting, the fleetingness of life 
the numbering of our days. Well, why would we focus on such a depressing topic? Why would we think about something that may cause us to get dour and sour? You know the jokes. When you get over the hill, it's even the whole over the hill concept. And we, certain birthdays and certain concepts, we just, with the way we talk about age and treat age. But let's not be flippant this morning. The psalmist says, no, 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 no. It is the aim of my heart and my life. Lord, teach me to steward my days. Teach me to number my days that I, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, literally rendered that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So answering this question, how do we make the best use of our time? And if the Lord continues to give us life, what will we do with it? Is that how you view life? Do you view life as a, the precious treasure that it is? Because friends, it's precious. If you don't think it's precious, just wait till something affects the quality of your life. A rocky doctor's appointment. Some of you in this room are survivors of cancer. You're survivors of some type of disease. The Lord has walked with you and walked you through those things. You may be in the room this morning and struggling with some of those very things. All it takes is a sickness, a cold, COVID, some type of, you know, sometimes we think we're dying when we have the flu. We're weak, have fever, dissipate, we're just wiped out on the couch. And all of a sudden we begin to feel with some measure of realness of the feebleness and the fleetingness of life. So number one, our, our focus, notice what Paul directs our attention to do as we consider this matter of stewardship this morning. He tells us to see then that you walk. This word, this command is to give thought to. What Paul is literally saying is church, to the church at Ephesus and us by extension this morning, give thought to, meditate on how you walk, or you could say how you're living. In the Greek, literally, the, the complex, the connection of the words means see then, look, circumspectly, see then how you walk. The idea is, is with, notice here, with accuracy. The word picture in the Greek is with preciseness, with exactness. See then that you walk circumspectly. In other words, look with exactness. Look with accuracy. Pay attention to your life is what Paul is saying. I'm going to say that again. Pay attention to your life walk. We need to be wakened up sometimes, awoken. We need to be shaken as we think about the trajectory of our living and our life. What Paul is saying here is to live a godly life requires thought. It requires intentionality. It requires planning and examination. In fact, as you think about what this word means, with exactness, with accuracy, you know what this is. We regularly, you could say it like this, there's a way we think things are, and there's a way things actually are. You are reminded of this all the time as you think about your to-do list. You've got your checklist. Some of you have the habit of having a Sunday night prep time where you review your week or a Monday morning early. You preview and forecast the week, and you sit down and check that calendar. Charity and I do that often as we think about what do the days look like and who... Who needs to go where? And you, you kind of map out and forecast. Based upon that forecast, you make out your to-do list on each day. And you're, you're humming along on Monday or Tuesday, and you think you're doing great. And you've gotten some things done. You've gotten away from that to-do list, and you come back at the end of the day, and you look at it. 
And you may have gotten some things done, but you realize that your day was not as productive and successful as you thought it was. Maybe it's your spreadsheet. Maybe it's your planner. And no matter how hard you try, and you should, so we think about stewardship, I'm not knocking any of those things. What I'm trying to say is that sometimes we're reminded of the way things actually are. We're reminded that we thought we were, we got all of it done, and we realized no matter how hard we tried, one of those boxes went unchecked. Thank God for his grace, amen? So, that's what Paul's calling us to do. Focus, see then. What, what, what is our life? We could ask the question. What is our life? Our life is moments, literally. Our life is 24 hours a day, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds broken down a day. Now, what if I were to ask you, we love to think like this sometimes. We hear about people who win something or receive a windfall, or we hear about multi, uh, athletes who receive multi-million dollar contracts, and it's just astronomical. And, the, and analysts will say, this equates to $86,400 a day, money. And so we think to ourselves, what would I do with $86,400 every day? Checking my bank account as we get the updates, and there every morning, there's $86,400 present there. But here's the catch in our analogy. It dissipates. Once the day is done, once the day is gone, the money is gone. Listen, we're talking about our time. What is life? What is your life? What is my life? It's moments. It's seconds. It's minutes. It's days. And I want to summarize this thought as we think about our focus. is simply this. How we spend our time is how we spend our life. If we understand that life is made up of moments, seconds, minutes, and hours, how we spend our time each day is ultimately how our life is spent. We think of life as precious, and it is. We think of time as, though, in the practical everyday thing as insignificant or trivial. If you don't believe so, then why do we use phrases like wasting time, burning time? What are you doing? Waiting for an appointment at a certain time. I'm just wasting time until the actual time. That, we use that language in our everyday talk and language. We think of time as trivial, but we know life is precious. So we got to make a connection between the two. Life is precious, but we treat time as trivial. But how do we make the connection? How do we focus on our lives? How do we steward our lives well? How do we redeem our lives well? Well, friends, the answer is found as we are led of the Holy Spirit to preview, to take inventory of, to take a close look at how we live and how we spend our time. And how we spend our time is ultimately how we spend our lives. That's what Paul is shepherding us to do here in verse 15. Look carefully, not aimlessly, not haphazardly, but to live with purpose and focus. Friends, does that characterize us? Well, secondly, not only number one, Paul is pointing us with a sense of, of focus. Secondly, our thought is consistency. Consistency. In other words, you could say consistency with your stewardship of time. Notice there, verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly. Here Paul is invoking our lifestyle, our trajectory, the choices we make, the pathway that we're on. And he says, guard with exactness, look with specificity how your walk is. And is your walk 
consistent. By the way, Jesus picks up on this language in an evangelistic sense in his Sermon on the Mount, that the walk of the believer compared to the walk of an unbeliever, the narrow way versus the broad way, the walk of a believer. Paul picks up on this language again and again in his epistles and Colossians and Ephesians. See then how you walk. What does a, a profession, what does a walk worthy of a profession look like? If you profess to know Christ and you're a disciple of Jesus, then what does that look like? And Paul is constantly unpacking that. That's what we're looking at this morning with a microscope in this sense. Consistency. Trajectory. Imagine a plane leaving from Los Angeles that wants to arrive at New York City. Just one degree off leaving from Los Angeles will land you by the time you get to the East Coast from the West Coast to Washington, D.C., I have been told. If you were to keep going, if that plane were to keep going, if you were on your original trajectory from Los Angeles and your goal was to go that way, you would land somewhere in Italy. They say Rome, Italy, some people say. But just one degree off from Los Angeles will move you from Rome, Italy to the middle of Africa. Here's the principle that I'm trying to say. It is not to give you a ge geography lesson. It's that it matters. Trajectory matters. Where you're at this morning matters. Paul is leading us to examine our hearts like the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and try me. Know my thoughts and know my ways. That's the idea. That's the, the point we're trying to make. Like Haggai does in Haggai 1 verse 5. Now therefore says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Well, see, but we're not good at that. We're busy. For the second we get up in the morning, our phones call us. We're glued. If you don't think so, simply look at your, your management report. That I don't know how Android devices do it, but in Apple, in the Apple iOS ecosystem, you get a report of your usage across all the devices every Sunday morning. And I have learned to use that to really help me to see just how much time is used in where, when, how, and what. It'll tell me what apps. It'll tell me how much it can break it down Sometimes it's encouraging, very rarely. More often than not, it's very convicting. But that's exactly what the Scriptures are calling us to do, what Paul is calling us to do, what Haggai, verse 1, where God says, Consider your ways to the children of Israel. Proverbs 4, verse 26, Ponder the path of your feet. What Paul is calling us to do is to ask this question in our use of time, is simply, where is my life headed this morning? Where is your life headed this morning? If we are to stay on the trajectory where we are right now at this moment, where will we be a month from now, a year from now, a decade from now? And what he's calling us to is gospel consistency. To be rooted in our identity in Christ. And because of that reality, to redeem the time. Because the days are evil. To be faithful. To be consistent. Let me ask you a question. Because of the faithfulness of God in Christ, how does that faithfulness impact your sanctification? In your marriage, in your parenting, in your church, in the roles that you've been asked to serve in. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Who can find a faithful man? Many, though, will, if you give them opportunity, proclaim their own goodness. Number one, focus. Number two, consistency. Number three, in verse 16, we want to think about this word, redeem. That's what Paul uses. 
Thirdly, redeem. Notice what he says. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. In other words, he's making, like Psalm 90 verse 12, there's a connection between our use of life and wisdom or foolishness. There is a way that is foolish. It's foolish. You may say, well, I'm secure in Christ. I'm not worried about this kind of technical, specific sanctification type message because God's grace covers it all. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. Don't live foolishly. Don't be dismissive. There is a foolishness in how we live our lives that we will give an account to the Lord for. Remember, we're stewards. We're stewards of all that he gives to us. And that's what Paul says. Thirdly, redeem. So where can we receive instruction and admonition and encouragement this morning? Well, Paul tells us, he says, redeeming the time, redeem the time, redeeming the time. That is the pattern of our life because the days are evil. Church, we live in an evil age. Simply read the news. Your heart will break. Simply talk to someone who works in social services and it will break your heart. Simply talk to a nurse who works in the ER at the children's hospital, and you will hear things that you didn't know could happen. We live in an evil, evil age. So what are we to do about that? We're to redeem the time. We are a redeemed people. So Paul is picking up on this gospel language to the church, and he's saying in the same way, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, that you were bought with the price by the precious blood of Christ, Therefore, Paul says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You don't belong to yourself. I don't belong to myself. We belong to God. Therefore, we glorify him in our bodies and our spirits, which are God's. This is at the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of gospel language. And if we're to know how to redeem our lives by stewardship, it begins in the heart of the gospel of knowing that we have been bought with a price. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says it in a different angle. He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him. Another metaphor for stewardship. 2 Corinthians 5.20, now therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what I'm doing. I represent God this morning, imploring to you in the teaching and preaching of God's word. So here's the idea. Our stewardship begins in the heart of the gospel and resting in the finished work of Christ. But it doesn't stay in the sense of coasting. In fact, one of the favorite passages that we all have is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And he's speaking in the sense of salvation, of lostness. And he says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. But what does he say next? And take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But there is a yoke, and there is a burden. But the reason it's light is because he's there with you. His grace is sufficient. The Holy Spirit guides us. Context here in Ephesians 5, be filled with with the Spirit, if you don't hear anything else I'm saying, if you're wondering, how do I do this on point number one? And how do I do this on point number two? And how do I be consistent? How do I focus? And how do I ream? Be filled with the Spirit. That's the context of the passage. 
It comes as a result of being born again through the gospel. And while I have no intention to shame you or trying to just make you feel more guilt or any of those things, if the Spirit of God through the Word of God convicts, reproves, and exhorts and leads us to clear stewardship, then all glory be to Christ. That is the aim this morning. So thirdly, redeeming. Notice what Paul says, redeem the time. This word means making the best use of. It means literally at the heart of the gospel, the same word that's used throughout the scriptures, redemption. And what is redemption? To buy back. It means to rescue from loss, to buy up, to purchase, to set free. So the idea is, is you are given life. This morning, we pray in such a way that we recognize, I don't mean if we have this morning, hopefully we have, but we pray regularly in such a way, Lord, thank you for life. What we have here this morning, listen, church, is not a guarantee. It's an opportunity, though. Every time we gather is an opportunity for the Lord to work. There are certain guarantees in the fact that His Word will not return void. But as we submit ourselves to Him, we have the opportunity to buy back the time, to use it carefully, and to use it wisely, to spend it in such a way with the allotment that we have been given that gives glory to God, even to the most mundane things of, of living in everyday life, such as eating and drinking, playing sports or going to concerts or doing the laundry or cleaning the house or going to the workforce, all of it. We're redeeming it in such a way that when we present ourselves before the Lord, we will be able to give a stewardship that we redeemed it. We bought that life back because of his buying us. We present our lives to him, not in the sense of uh, vain measurements, physical measurements, but qualitative measurements, motives, why we did what we did, why we do what we do for his glory. We rescue our lives from loss. We rescue it from dissipation and wastedness and frivolity and silly things. We buy it up. And to buy up our time takes focus. In the same way, it would take a wise steward to take $86,000 a day and to very intentionally use that for the glory of God. We need to do the same with our time. I want to ask you a question this morning as we think about these thoughts. How long have you been in Christ, been saved? When did you confess the name of the Lord? And just give thought for a second to where you're at. Uh, how long has that been the case. Um, for me, I was saved at the age of six. I'm 38 years old. That's 32 years. 32 years of knowing Jesus, knowing Christ. Now, I know I'm young, not as young as I once was, getting older, but 30 years is a long time. 32 years represents a career in the workforce. 32 years is a lot of things we could continue to unpack it. But what about you? Some, it's less than that. Some, it's a lot more than that. How you've used that time is what you will give an account to before the Lord. What do I have to show for it? What, what have I done with those years of opportunity as I give it to the Lord? To trust Him. How have I grown if you are a leader, if you're a parent, a husband, a wife, a teacher, uh, you know, one of the things is that you often see potential in others before they see it in themselves. 
In fact, there's a great frustration when you see it, but yet they cannot. In fact, you begin to grow frustrated sometimes when you see that they're wasting something that is so precious, some type of skill or talent or ability, and you long for it to be redeemed. You long for it to, to be used for the glory of God. If, if you've been in some of those positions, you, you know what I'm talking about. You see what they cannot, and you want them to see it. You long for them to see it. You guide them to it, and you try to guide them, parent them, coach them, teach them. But what about you and your own walk with God? What about you, and how long have you walked with God? Do you have godly friends in your life that help you to have this consistent walk, this life that helps you to redeem that life back unto the Lord? Are we redeeming our life in our walk with God? What, what about our relationships? Husbands, are you redeeming your time the Lord has given to you with your, with your wife? There are moments today that you will have an opportunity to think about time. You need to look at it in the sense of here is an opportunity that is present right now that will never come again. Husbands, are we simply coexisting in our marriages are we simply coexisting with our lives and with our wives? Have we simply lost ourselves in the busyness of, of marriage, providing for our families that we take them for granted, that we're just simply coexisting? Do we treat our spouse like a business partner instead of the soulmate that God has given to us? Redeeming the time in our marriages. What about redeeming the time in our parenting? Parents, we get 18 years with our children that we'll never get back. I'm not trying to shame you. As a faithful pastor, I'm trying to remind you. I'm trying to help guide you. I'm trying to help you redeem the time that you have left. Moms and dads, you have opportunities with your children today, Sunday, January the 26th, I believe. If the date's wrong, please don't get distracted on that. You have moments today that you won't ever have again. And if I keep staying on these points, I'm going to bawl my eyes out. So I'm going to keep moving. Parents, let me just help you. Put your phone down. Turn the TV off. And spend that time. Redeem it. Buy it back. The, what about in our spheres of influence with our coworkers? With our neighbors? Church, I want to confess something to you. I have a passion to reach people for Christ. And I know you do too. In the last number of days, I've had two neighbors go home to be with the Lord. And one is dying. The one right next to me is, is, is dying. The one that most recently passed away, the Lord spoke to my heart about inviting him to church. And then inviting him to lunch following that to try to get to know him. He's not from this area. He's from, I think it was Chicago. I met him at a July 4th neighborhood party we just right there on the street shut the street down and had a big cookout and that's where I met him talked with him for a while got to know him a little bit and every so often I would think I need to invite him to church I want him to I've talked with him I've talked with him personally but I want to connect him to the life of our church I want him to hear the gospel in another way I want him to meet the people that I love and know and from time to time I think I need to do that I need to do that the other night, we're all sitting at home, and all of a sudden, we see the ambulance is coming. Coming down the street, we hear the alarm. We wonder what's going on. We find out that he has passed away. And immediately, 
I just felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit of not redeeming the time and following the promptings of the Holy Spirit right then and there, and yet putting it off. And I've asked the Lord for forgiveness and grace. I've asked the Lord to forgive me for not obeying Him right away. I don't get that back. What about in our sphere of influence with our coworkers and our neighbors? I'm, I'm feeling this personally as I have now, coming soon, three neighbors that will pass away. By the way, there's a fourth neighbor who lives behind me that I'm burdened for, and I won't be waiting another day. This morning, in just reflection over my notes, the Lord brought him to mind. I said, but what about him? I saw him this week, and I thought, I need to speak to him. I need to get to know him. I need to learn about him. I need to try to spend time with him. But that's the fight, isn't it? What, what is the fight? The fight for life is in our use of time, isn't it? The very excuses I'm giving to you is I'm busy. We're all busy. We get it. Who's not busy? We are all, we're addicted to busy. That's what we're looking at. We need to be buying up the time, using it intentionally, not letting these precious moments seep by without intentionality. Praise the Lord for His grace. Thank the Lord for His forgiveness. But today, may we resolve to be better stewards in this way as we give thoughts for this. One more application point on this point number three. What about in our ministry for the Lord? And I want to ask a question for you. Grace Church has many needs, and we have wonderful people, but listen, we've not arrived. The Lord's work is always advancing. It's marching on, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God's got so much in store for us in 2024, and we need you. We need every one of you to make it happen. Now, when I say we need you, we, we mean that practically. We mean it meaningfully, but what you need to consider is, is how you're stewarding your ministry for the Lord. And you can consider it in this question by asking it this way. What has been put into me that the Lord wants me to use for His kingdom? The beauty of a local church is that all of you are different. The beauty of a local church is that there's a harmony, not nonstop melody. We're, we don't all look the same. We're not all the same age. We're not all in the same demographics. We're not all, that's the beauty of Christ and the gospel. And in that diversity within the gospel context, the question must be asked, why has God brought me to Grace Church? More fundamentally, zoom out even more, why am I, why am I alive for such a time as this? Why am I alive right now in 2024? Well, the easy answer is, is God wants you to be alive, of course. But this gives assurance and comfort and strength and sustenance to our lives, friends. And so the answer to the question is, is what has been put into me and my calling? Maybe God's allowed you to work in a sphere. You've given your lives in a, uh, to a particular trade or job. And there's other people that God wants you to reach for Christ in that same way with your skill set and connect with them. There's things that God wants you to use with your skill set for the advancement and service of the church. And when we say the church, we're simply saying for the Lord. What opportunities have I had that have I experienced that the Lord wants me to share with other people? What are the needs of our church and how can I serve some practical ways? A question that we need to be asking. I think a really intelligent question is this. What season of life am I in? Everybody in this room is in a season of life. And it's not all the same. 
We don't need to judge one another based upon what they're doing. Does it look like what I'm doing or, or you know, what each one of us, is it the same? It's no, it's recognizing that everybody's in a different chapter of life, different season of life. And with those seasons come opportunities that will never come again. Many of you mothers and fathers are in the high demand years of life and you're just maxed out all the time. You're running 24-7. And I just want to encourage you, stay faithful as a mother, as a father. That's what God wants you to do. That's his calling for your life. And as you see the needs of the church and the Lord opens up opportunities for you to serve, wonderful. Praise the Lord, but do not neglect your calling of serving the Lord as a wise steward there in the home. As a parent, making disciples in the home. Others are through that season of life, and yet you're in a different season of life. You're full, you're busy, you're still in your working years, and yet there's opportunities for you to serve the Lord in very specific ways and very specific areas. Others are in the twilight years of life, and yet you're in the wisest years of life. You have so much to offer. You have so much to give our church. So much. Your strength may not be what it always has been, but your wisdom is. Church, we, we need you. Some of you are the youngest members of the church, and yet we see you. You work hard. You, you, you help this church in so many practical ways. You're learning what it's like to redeem the time as you come, and you assist the adults in very practical ways. Some of you are in your single years, and we're answering this question of, how do I buy back my time? Well, you do it by just simply saying, how can I serve the Lord in this season of my life? What are the specific needs of our church? Well, some of those will be communicated this evening as we think about some of those very questions. And while we will never harangue you, as long as I'm the pastor here, we will never beat anyone over the head, but I will not deny, we will never deny that we need you. Not only do we need you, we want you. And not only do we need you when we want you, but listen, we want you to want it as well. Are you willing and are you able to serve maybe in this way? The key word there is not only able, but are you willing? No matter what season you're in in this life, and as we think about point number three, redeeming the time, there's a principle that applies to all of us, and it's this, Matthew 6, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We are to seek our king first. We are to seek his kingdom first, and all these other things will be added to the Lord. You know why life seems so stressful? Many of us feel maxed out all the time. It's because everything has the same level of priority and urgency. But Jesus says, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Jesus helps us here. And he says, everything doesn't have the same level of priority or urgency. Seek my kingdom first. And that's why you're here today. What you're doing right here sets the stage and the tone for the rest of your week. It's what makes life make sense. What we're doing this morning, what we're doing today gives structure to our lives. For, for the lost and our friends and loved ones who don't know Christ, today's just simply another day to get their bucket list done because this is all they know. This is all the heaven they'll ever get. And so they're going to spend one more day trying to fit something else in. I'm not trying to be mean about that. And their first day of the week is on Monday. And that's why Monday's Monday. And they come in and saying. How are you doing? Well, it's Monday. But not so with us. Because of Sunday, Monday's different. We're not like everybody else. We find ourselves repeating like what everybody else says, but it's not true. I, listen, the, the Lord's day is the best day. This is a foretaste of heaven. 
We serve the Lord together. We worship Him together. This is what heaven is. And if this bores you, if this bothers you, then friend, maybe search your heart and ask the Lord, do I know Christ? Because this is it. This is an imperfect it, but it is it. We love it. We buy back the time on the Lord's day because we love Him and we love one another. How is the Lord leading you to redeem your time and your laying down of your life for the church? There's so many more things I could say, but I need to move on. Number four. Number one, we saw this word focus. Number two, consistency. Number three, redeem. But number, number four is recognize. Paul ups to Annie a little bit here in verse 16 by saying, wake up, church. You need to recognize the times that you are in. And church, I'm just going to say, I'm afraid. Like, for many of us, we're just asleep at the wheel. Verse 16, he says this, recognize the times. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. But notice, redeeming the time, why? Because the days are evil. Here's the incentive here. Here's the up, upping the ante. Here Paul is saying, you don't have the moments to waste. Look around you. The fields are wide into harvest. Realize, church, the times that you're living in and buy it back. Redeem it back. There needs to be a sense of urgency to the church. Well, how does that help us as we think about the vicissitudes, the top? topographical, the topography, emotional spheres of life. How do we keep that sense of sobriety and urgency? Well, there's two ways primarily to keep your eyes fixed upon the author and the finisher of your faith, to keep your eyes upon the God of heaven, which makes everything else make sense. But the other added incentive that is horizontal, one is vertical. Here Paul appeals to the horizontal and says, simply look around you. The times that we live in. And, and the idea is, is not to, to bemoan that and to waste your time going on and on about that, unless when it's specific and helpful. But he's saying this is an additive incentive to buy it back, to redeem it for the glory of God. Don't be, what Paul is saying, is a sleepy Christian. Asleep at the wheel. Notice, backing up there, verse, verse, verse 14, he says, awake. In other words, there are those who are asleep in the church, and he says, wake up. And Christ will help you. Christ will give you the strength. Notice what he says there, chapter 5, verse 14. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The idea here is this. We're not on a cruise ship. We're not on vacation. We're on mission. We're ambassadors for the lost. No, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's a place for rest. Oh, there is. Rest is what makes our work make sense sometimes. If it's all work, we'll be burnt out. That's not anything I'm espousing this morning, so please don't hear that. Jesus himself models for us to come apart from the crowds and to be restored, to have some sense of margin. He was pouring himself out, and even the Son of God who poured himself out shows us what it is to come apart and to be with God. You've heard the phrase, haven't you? You better learn to come apart or you'll have a come apart. That's the way it's said, I believe. But still... We're to see the evilness of the age. We're to see that Christ has called us to live faithfully. So what Paul is saying here is don't have a bunker-down mentality. And see, that's what we can tend to do. As we look around, we can tend to say things are getting worse and worse and wicked 
and evil, and if we're not careful, we just start to have a bunker-down mentality. No, 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 no. Not at all, church. Nowhere in Scripture do we see where we're just supposed to check out, go ahead and build that basement bunker, and just go ahead and get in there and hide. I'm sorry. Nowhere. And if you have a basement bunker, I don't know about it, so I'm not intentionally trying to pick on anybody here this morning. We are called as the church to live faithfully to the gospel in this present age. The first church, the early church, was literally being taken to the public square and being fed to lions. Now, no matter how bad it is, we're not there yet. At least not yet. I'm not saying we need to be stupid and foolish. I'm not saying any of those things. What I'm just saying is, is we, we're tougher than we think we are. And we need to take the gospel, not just in these four walls, but we need to walk out those doors, and we need to live it, church. We need to bear it. We need to exemplify it. We need to talk about it. We need to buy it back, the time, and take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us with those that he brings our paths across, the promptings of his spirit, as he prompts us in specific ways, as he leads us in these very precise ways ways focus consistency redeem look around and recognize the times that we are in we need to recognize it and with that recognition and buying back needs to see opportunity for the advancement of the kingdom we need to see we need to be bold you know the best defense is a good offense we need to advance we need to follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and recognize the opportunities that he gives to us and proceed in faith as the Lord allows. Lastly, number five, our word is reflect. Reflect. To reflect upon his wisdom in my time. Notice there verse 16. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand. Be understanding what the will of the Lord is. Again, Paul here makes this connection that the scriptures often do uh, between wisdom and time. Psalm 90 verse 12, I've quoted from repeatedly. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart unto wisdom. Here Paul continues, he says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Colossians 4 verse 5, walk in wisdom towards those who are the outside, redeeming the time. So be wise. Don't be foolish. What does it mean to live foolishly according to what Paul is saying? Here? He's saying that you walk in such a way that you do not give account to, to what the Lord is doing. What is foolish living? What does it mean to, to live or to look like a fool? Psalm 14 verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. For our purposes this morning to the church, it's living in such a way that you don't give an account to God. You, you do here this morning, but your life doesn't reflect it. Your finances don't reflect it. Your use of time doesn't reflect it. Your stewardship of life and the opportunities God has given to you, it doesn't reflect it. And so therefore, you're living like a fool. And while you would never say, there is no God, that's what the fool ultimately says, you're living like the fool. And Paul says, don't do that. Remember who you are in Christ. Wake up. He's already used that language. Awake. And here, he's calling us to look around, to be spirit-filled, to understand that the days are evil, not as the fools, but as the wise. I want you to turn with me in closing 
Let's go over to James chapter 4. And I want us just to look at a cross-reference that will help us as we consider tying this all together. Stewardship of life. Buying back our time. Not being unwise, but wise. And living all of life under the understanding that is quorum Deo, before the presence and face of God. James chapter 4, verse 7. This is a passage we refer to regularly, and it's appropriate for our text this morning. James 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God and resist the devil. He will flee from you. This morning, you may feel convicted like I do, have, and do preaching this message. Let me encourage you to heed what James is saying. Draw near to God. Seek his forgiveness, if that's appropriate. Seek his renewal. Receive his grace. Notice verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Do you desire to draw near to the Lord this morning? Listen, just the desire is a sign of goodness, of grace. The lost don't even have the desire. And if you're wondering, does God want to hear from me in my repentance? Does God even care? Will he, will he hear it? Yes. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, that's just it, isn't it? Much of what we looked at this morning is the struggle with double-mindedness. James has already shown us in chapter 1, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Listen, some of us have been unstable for too long. Today, by the word of God, we, we see it. We repent of it. Repent. That's what he's saying here, this idea. Double-mindedness. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, you purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Friends, what is repentance but humbling ourselves before the Lord? It's confessing our sin and saying the truth about our sin that matches what God's word says about our sin. Another way of saying it is repentance and humbling ourselves before the side of the Lord is joining with God's verdict upon our sin and saying that's what it is. Now jump to verse 13. Notice what James then says. I'm going to make a connection here between wisdom, redeeming the time, wisdom, and foolishness. Not being like a fool. Remember what was the fool? The fool says in his heart there is no God. But also we made the point that the fool also there's foolish living which lives in such a way as if there is no God. As if just mindlessness, I guess you could say. Notice what James points to as wickedness and evil. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, such and such a city. We'll spend a year there, buy and sell, make profit, whereas you do not know what will happen on tomorrow. For what is your life? So what James is getting to the heart of is just vain confidence. And to understand the frailty of life, he's asking this rhetorical question, What is your life? It is even like a vapor that appears for just a moment for a little time and then it vanishes away. So instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. 
Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is, it is sin. Here, James gives us an example, a cross-reference that is exactly what Paul is saying not to do. Live a life that is reverent, humble, reflective. A steward comes before his master and says, Are my priorities your priorities, O God? Is how I'm spending my time each day what you want my life to be spent for? And I want you to know this. God has called you, gifted you, right in the corner where you are. Tomorrow morning when you get up at 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock, I say get up, you'll get up much earlier than that, but as you go into work and you clock in or go wherever it is or you're there in the home serving in the home, listen, God wants you to buy the time back right there. That's your ministry. That's your mission. That's exactly what God's called you to do. And I pray that the Lord will help us as we think about our daily living, our cyclical nature of our church life, our stewardship of life. May the Lord apply his word to our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we need your forgiveness this morning because your spirit has shown to us through this text, through Paul's teaching and exhortation, how flippantly we view our time and our lives. Father, would you provide grace to those who have heard and are broken? Would you provide resolve by your spirit to those who are steadfast and desire to not only repent, but Lord, redeem the time starting today to buy back, to examine priorities, to say, is what I'm living for, is this what Christ died for? Is how I'm spending my life, is this really what I want my life to be made up of? Father, teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and walked perfectly in wisdom. Lord, so that we may, by your Spirit, apply our hearts to wisdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.